Uh, we're going to get into our message. Now, before I do, we're going to do something different here, is I want to tell you a story. Now, for me to tell you the story, I need two things. I need you to close your eyes. So that means you need to close your eyes now, okay? And I need you to listen to the, the, my voice and also some of the sound effects and just let yourself go into this um, picture of being amongst a snowstorm. Farmers in the Midwest of America would prepare for blizzards by tying a rope from the back door of their house out to the barn as a guide to ensure they could return safely home. But the blizzards they experienced were so bad. These blizzards came quickly and fiercely and were highly dangerous. When their full force was blowing, a farmer could not see the end of their hand. Farmers who got lost and separated from their rope froze to death. Many instances of being found only meters from their front door, never realizing how close they were to safety. Many of us have lost our way spiritually in the whiteout of the blizzards swirling around us. Blizzards begin when we say yes to too many things. Between the demands of work and family, our lives fall somewhere between full and overflowing. We multitask so much that we are unaware that we're even doing three things at once. We admire people who are able to accomplish so much in so little time. It is these people that are our role models. At the same time, many of us are overscheduled, tense, addicted to hurry, preoccupied, fatigued, frantic, and starved for time, cramming as much as possible into our to-do list. We battle life to make the best use of every spare minute we have. We end our days exhausted from work and raising children, and then our free time on weekends becomes filled with more demands in an already overburdened life. We listen to sermons and read books about slowing down and creating margin on our lives. We read about the need to rest and recharge our batteries, but we can't stop. And if we aren't busy, we actually feel guilty that we're wasting time and are not productive. We go through the motions of doing so many things as if there were no alternative ways to spending our days. It's like being addicted only is not for drugs or alcohol, but to tasks, to work, to doing. Add to this the storms and trials of life that blow into our lives unexpectedly and catch us off guard. And we wonder why so many of us are disorientated and confused. We need a rope to lead us home. God is offering us that rope to keep us from getting lost this rope consistently leads us back home to him, where we're able to sit at his feet, basking in the warmth of his glory, as though sitting in front of a roaring fire. Okay, back in the room. So do you feel like you're in a blizzard of busyness in your life? Do you feel like... You've just let go of the rope 
and you just seem to be lost in the snowstorm of busyness. It's a powerful image, isn't it? You see, God wants us to rest in him instead of constantly rushing around, trying to be productive and get things done. Now, does this mean that we should all quit our jobs tomorrow, remove the stress from our lives, and just snuggle up in front of the fire and rest in God's presence? It sounds wonderful to be the proverbial spiritual cat constantly resting at Jesus' feet. I'm so jealous of my cat, Wellington. I'm going out in the busyness, and he's just snuggled, and and I think, oh, I want to be a cat. But God's not made us to be cats. You see, he's not made us to be cats or to be monks who hide away from the world so that we can just constantly be in that place with God with nothing else. You see, we're supposed to be with God and God's everywhere with us, but it's not that we then just retreat from the world. We're supposed to have God with us, but in the world. And so we're not called to be spiritual cats in front of a warm fire constantly. You see, God has made us for work. Whether you're a builder, a teacher, an entrepreneur, a stay-at-home mum, a doctor, work is rooted in who God has made us to be in his creation. This is shown in Genesis 2, 15. The Lord placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. He didn't put Adam to just sit there with his feet up. He actually put him in charge of it to tend and to watch over it. Jesus himself was a carpenter. God himself got his hands dirty when he made man out of uh, the dust from the ground. See, not only did God command us to work, but being created in his image as creator, we are hardwired to work. We are hardwired to be creative. So we're called to go out into the blizzard of the world to be productive, to work, because it's how God has made us. But it's not that God just sends us out and say, work, be productive, and we get lost, like letting go of that rope that the farmer had, and then just being so overwhelmed in the the wilderness of the world where all we do is work, work, work. See, God calls us to tether a rope around us so that we go out, but we're able to come back. We're able to find our home that is Jesus. So that we go back like in that fire and we get toasty and warm and then we go out where it's cold. And what do we do? We let that heat radiate from us and we start to notice we're getting a bit colder. So we need to follow that rope back to sit in front of God and be warmed again so that we take his love and his warmth out to the communities he's placed us in. Now, when I initially prepared this sermon at the beginning of the week, I thought, yes, I prepared this very similar sermon a year ago that I delivered to another church. I thought, brilliant. I'm just going to have to change a few dates, a few cut and pasting. Hey, presto, I'm done. I've written a sermon in an hour. I was like, yes, I'm going to have loads of free time. But then God humbled me. My arrogance of just thinking, oh, I can quickly just whip that sermon out little bit of polishing, we're all good to go. You see, what God really did was he spoke to me and he humbled me. And actually, and these are the most powerful messages where you've got a message to bring and God said, hold on, 
how's that applying in your life before you preach it? You see, a year ago when I shared this message elsewhere, I shared that for six years, between 2015 to 2021, I'd been working two jobs. And I'd been working six days a week. I'd never intended on working six full days of work a week, but it just kind of happened that way, and then the extra money was helpful, and I got used to the constant slog. And when COVID struck, life got busy as a pastor. So whilst I was only working three days at City Church, I was able to effectively increase my time to work full-time, five days a week. Because my other job at Billy Graham, I was on furlough, was only in a day a week. So it was kind of like a seesaw that I was still working six days a week, but I was able to do more for church. It was manageable, but then COVID comes to an end. Furlough comes to an end, and ridiculously, I tried to work full-time at church, and three days a week at Billy Graham. I was working trying to do eight days a week. It's ridiculous. And so it'll come as no surprise that three weeks later, I was at burnout. I literally could not function. My mind was working at 30% of its capacity. I was just sitting in my car, and I was just crying. And I was just like, what's going on? And I was burnt out because you can't do eight days a week um, of work. You can't do seven. Six isn't good. And so I had to take two weeks off work from both jobs so that I could just rest and sleep, but so that I could just go and speak with God and say, what's going on in my life? And when I returned, I put things back in order. I reduced my days that I was working at Billy Graham. I started to actually work what I was contracted to at City Church, and all of a sudden I was working five days a week. I had not worked five days a week in six years. And I was exhausted. And as I recouped, I started to observe the Sabbath. The Sabbath doesn't have to be any specific day, although it's often Sunday for a lot of people. Sunday's not my Sabbath, it's quite a full-on day. But I started to observe that. And I tell you what, I didn't know what to do. I'd forgotten how to rest. I'd simply not properly rested since we'd had children since I'd had that extra day to myself to rest. And God revealed to me over that year some lessons that revolutionized my life. And I'm not just saying revolutionized for, for preacher's effect. I mean, literally, God reworked my entire life from being an overwhelmed, overworked, overstressed pastor, husband, and father to increasingly learning about how to rest and be still in God's presence and know he is Lord. That was my message. I was going to bring in. It's brilliant. And then God said, but you're not doing that anymore, James. You've lost that art of resting in me. You see, I preached this sermon just as I'd taken the lead of City Church back in September. And so taking the lead role as a pastor, there's a lot more to do. There's a lot more responsibility. There's a lot of things that you can just get caught up in where you can be working constantly. Now, I still practice my Sabbath. And I still, which is for me, is on Monday where I can have a time of rest. And I was still having times with God. But actually, as more responsibility came and more things were, were I was responsible for, and more people I was taking care of, what I should have done is leaned into God and had more time with him rather than just doing the minimum needed. 
Now, I'm not saying this has been for the last year, but particularly over the last sort of um, eight weeks, I've noticed in my life that as we've been doing this Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course, since I've been kind of, I've gone through that and learned so much, and I'm teaching the church this. God woke me up one night in a dream, and he said, it's, it's for nothing leading the church into discipleship if you're not doing it yourself, James. And so I was so busy in doing stuff, in leading other people into the presence of God, that I noticed that I was not spending enough time with God to equip me and to strengthen me. That's humbling. You know, it really is humbling for God to say, look, I've asked you to do more, but that doesn't mean that you need to do more work. It means you need to spend more time in me. You need to be restored and refreshed in me. So today's teaching comes with a very clear sense that we're in this journey together. If you want to look towards the pastor and think he's got it sorted, he is, you know, a saint, look how he manages things. It's like, no, I'm broken just as we all are. But God then used my own words that I've preached to preach back to me where um, I've talked about how sometimes it feels like we're going around in circles, And so God taught taught me about rest and Sabbath. And then a year later, I was back at the same point. But what he reminded me is that though I may be back at the same point, what's happened is I then, when I realize where I am, I can fall back on the lessons God's taught me before. So that rather than starting from, from, from the same, you know, position one, what I'm doing is I'm going around, but it's actually like a spiral staircase going up. So that I may be back at the same place, but actually because I've been working on my discipleship and growing like Jesus, that I'm kind of closer to him, but he's just had to bring me back to that same point to say, look, you've not nailed this, James. There's more, there's more that I want to give you. So the difference um, is that each time around, if we're working to be disciples, is God just takes us higher and closer to him. But that's often humbling when we end up back at that same spot. But there's nothing better than actually being at that spot of humility and brokenness where God says, look, you've grasped some of what I've got for you, but I've got more. I've got more warmth that I want you to receive so that you can take more heat out, more uh, of my love to the community that, that he's called each of us to be. And so I want to spend, and I've not got loads of time, but I just want to spend um, our remaining time together in Psalm 46.10, looking at three points. The scripture is, be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And so I want to look at three ways that we can be still in God's presence in order that we may know him better. That we may know him better. And when we know him better, then we're equipped to be used by him and not become burnt out. Now, I must warn you, what I'm trying to share here is there's too much. There is too much for me where I could do a three-part series, if not longer, on this sense of rest. And so I'm touching the surface. I hope you go away feeling that was not enough, James, because it's not. You can't get this in, in, in 40 minutes of teaching. I want you to, with that hunger that God gives you, to go and seek him 
you know, we've got the teaching on Wednesday that's going to unpack this. There's these great books of the emotionally healthy spirituality that you can read and unpack further. But the key thing is, is there's more to do, not for you to do in terms of heavy work, but there's more that God has for you, but you will only get that from seeking him and being in his presence, holding on that rope, tracking your way back to him out of the busyness of the blizzard and let God speak to you and bring the transformation in your life. So I'm just going to, before we go into those three points, just going to pray that God would really move powerfully. So God, we thank you for that image, God, that you've sent us out into the world, but you don't send us and, and cut the rope off and say, best of luck. You say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm tethered to you, and I want you to constantly come back to me to be rest, restored, refreshed, and to bask in the warmth of my presence. God, I just pray that for, for all of us, God, in the busyness of the world, that you would be gently speaking to our hearts now, God. That you would humble us, but not to humiliate, you, you never humiliate us. In humility, you just remind us that we're broken, but we're made to serve you, to follow you, and everything we need to thrive in life, you have given us. We just need to make sure we're seeking you and not our own agenda. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. This is good preaching. This is good preaching. Do you know why? Because God has convicted me out of my brokenness so I can speak out of that. God is so amazing that you can share the same message and he can speak to everyone a little bit differently because he's a living God. He has a living word, the Bible, and he's able to speak to each of us. So number one of how we can make sure we're rested and in God's presence is be still. Be still and know that I am God. The English definition for still means to be silent, uttering no sound, and be quiet and motionless. But you see, the way we use be still in English is different from the Hebrew word. The instruction to be still in Hebrew is derived from the word rapha, which means to let go, to stop striving. To let go and stop striving. Now, when we're still, it's often a case that we need to be silent and we, we just need to be motionless. But it's not that. It's not some kind of spiritual meditation that the, that, that the Buddhists offer. Just being still in a sense of, you know, Zen, you'll be restored. No, it's be still, be quiet. But in that process, we need to let go and stop striving. And essentially, it means to surrender. To be still means to surrender. It's a picture of loosening our grip on the circumstances and outcome and trusting God. I'm the first to admit that this goes against my natural instinct, being a human. I want to fix, and if I can't fix things, I'll worry about them. God doesn't tell us to fix everything, and he, doesn't, he tells us not to worry. He says what we need to do is surrender to him for those things that we can't control. Now, he doesn't say, oh, give up and sit, sit down. He doesn't say, quit doing the last thing that God called you to do, though it may be difficult. And it doesn't mean just sit there and say, I'm going to do nothing. I'm going to take no action and God will provide. If you've lost your job 
and you just say, I'm going to sit here and the perfect job will drop on my lap. God will be saying, no, you've got a CV. You've got experience. You need to go and do some stuff. You need to do everything you can, but for the huge amount that you can't do and fix, surrender to me and let me do the work. I learned a great deal um, of what it is to be still by um, observing one of my friends. A friend of mine moved to Spain last year, and him and his wife, originally from Spain, um, God had put uh, a call on their heart to go back to Spain. And so they, they went back to Spain and started a new job. And six months into it, um, my friend was uh, accused in, in, in his company of like a data protection breach. It was false. There was no real foundation behind it. But because of in the kind of banking sphere, he was put on suspension, paid suspension, which was a bonus, um, paid suspension as it was investigated because there was a certain procedure to follow. Now, this man loves God. He knew he was in God's will, and in terms of his move to Spain and his new job, he knew God had directed him there. And yet he was experiencing great turmoil from this false accusation. The devil didn't want him and his wife to be back in Spain to be salt and light into that community. And what did he do in those three months that he was suspended? He learned the true meaning of being still in God. To be still with God. You see, he loosened his grip on the circumstances and the outcome because he had no control. And he trusted God to resolve the issue. Now, just the other week, he heard from the police that all the charges have been dropped because there was simply no evidence for it. How did the accusation even come about? Well, it didn't even matter who brought it. It was the fact that the devil didn't want my friend and his wife to be back in Spain serving him in the community that he called them back to. And so for him to rest, to be still and rest in God, took a lot of tears, took a lot of prayers, but out of what the devil meant for evil, he received a wonderful gift to, be lear- to learn how to be still. You know what? We all face some of those really difficult situations. And if we've not already learned how to be still, God will teach us in those times. But we need to be receptive to listen, and hopefully not in the such a dramatic difficulties, but to be still in God on the daily basis so that we're deepened and ready for what comes. So how about you? Are you facing circumstances outside of your control? You've done everything you can, but there's nothing else you can do, and you thrash around aimlessly. Are you full of worry and anxiety? Are you depressed and miserable, or do you rest in God? Psalm 61 says, I wait quietly before God, for my victory comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress where I will never be shaken. We will be shaken, but that's why we need to go to God and make sure that he is our fortress because he will never be shaken. We need to surrender. The second way to really know God is, well, is to know that he is God. It says, be still and know that I am God. When me and my wife, Kathy, spend time together, we speak and we, we go back and forth. And I'm very conscious a lot of the time that I'm doing too much speaking and not enough listening. Now, 
If I do all the speaking, what happens? We have relationship breakdown. Because Kathy might know me, i.e., shut up, James, you've got a big gob, but I don't know her because I'm not listening. Relationship is two-way, it's back and forward. And so it is with our relationship with God. You see, our time with God needs to make sure that we know that he is God. Now, if all you do is say, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, fix it, can you do this? Well, how are we necessarily knowing God? Because we've not even had time to to listen to him. We've just given him a list of, can you fix this, God? And I'd like you to fix it this way. No, what God wants us to do to know him is to be still, to surrender, to be quiet, and to be in his presence so that he can speak to us. And this is what a big part of the Emotionally Healthy Spirituality course is about. We've been going through the day-by-day devotions, and those are a time where we still, we're quiet, but we listen to God so that he can speak. The reason we've got silence at the beginning and at the end of those devotions is so that we can be quiet and God can speak. And who knows that when we're quiet and we listen to God speak, his words are better than 10 hours of us complaining. In one second, he can just say, you know, you don't know what to do. doesn't matter. I've got it in my hands. We need to know that he is God, and we only know that he is God, and sometimes we actually just are quiet and listen. Silence allows a connection to God beyond what our words can express, and it's a special gift that we need to cultivate to aid our faith. I'm not saying silence is the easiest thing. Just this week as I've been preparing, God's been saying, yeah, you you are spending time with me, but I want more, James. There's more I want to give you, and so you need to be in my presence and spend more time in silence to listen and to know that I am God. I don't think that there's anyone who ever gets there. I think in last week's, we were looking at Mother Teresa and and that her words at the end of her life is she was just overwhelmed with so many things. You know, we we have these people we look to and be like, oh, they're the perfect model. You know, Mother Teresa or Billy Graham or even when you sometimes look at pastors and think they've got it together. But there's a constant journey where no matter how people view you, we each know that we fall short of spending the kind of time God wants us to. Can I say there's a real danger of self-medication when it comes to distraction? I've noticed in my, my own life that when I've got particularly busy and I know more than anything I should spend time with God, I'll be on my phone and it's like, oh, look at that stupid cat video. Me and my girls love cat videos. We love cats. You might have picked that up. But just getting distracted and actually being thinking, oh, I need to spend time with God. I'm stressed. I'm, I'm worried. Oh, but another video. Another Facebook, you know, looking at Facebook. You see, self-medication is a very dangerous thing when it comes to social media, when it comes to movies, maybe when it comes to food, um, particularly when we get onto alcohol and other, uh, you know, other things like that. But self-medication, it's, the problem is in its own word, self-medication. The only true medication we can have to be rest and to be still and to know that he is God is by being with him.
There is nothing we can do and claim and discover ourselves that will medicate the emptiness and brokenness of an overworked life. We need to go to our true doctor who has the only medication, and that's simply just resting in his presence. Um, The third point is the gift of Sabbath. Now, Sabbath is something we hear about, um, but not necessarily, you know, taught on a great deal. And let me explain this. Like, we've all been on a holiday in the sun. Maybe for a week, maybe you've been blessed with two weeks in the sun, and you've been abroad, and you come back, and you're floating on earth. You are so refreshed. You're rejuvenated. You're rested. And then you go back to work, and two days later, what holiday? It's gone. All of a sudden, the rest is gone. But God has so much more for us than physical rest. You see, God has a rest that not only restores our bodies, it restores our souls. And Sabbath keeping is a way that God has commanded us. I mean, it's crazy that he has to command us to do something that will bless our socks off to to rest. But he knows that the nature of fallen human beings is that we don't rest. There's always something else. A bit more, a bit more. And God knows that we need to rest. And so he actually has to command us in the Ten Commandments to rest. It says in Genesis 2, On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation, so he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. Was God so exhausted from the act of creation that he needed to take a day off? No. God can't, there's no end to God. I'm not going to unpack this too much as a theological perspective. I've not looked into it. But God didn't take a day because he's like, oh, I'm, I'm exhausted. Turn the phone off. I need to sleep. No, one of the things he did was he recognized the importance of creating a cycle to show us that we need rest and renewal. Now, Sabbath is one of the wonderful gifts God has given us to be rested and, and have to be renewed in him. Now, I'm not going to go and tell you from a legalistic perspective, you need to take Sabbath on this day for this long. Um, But can I encourage you, the Sabbath talks about a day of rest. Now, what's a day of rest mean? Well, it means reading your Bible. It means praying, maybe listening to worship music. Sabbath doesn't mean just have a day off and chill out, watch Netflix, and you've had your Sabbath. Now, there's nothing wrong with those. I don't spend my whole Sabbath, so tomorrow I'm not going to get up and, well, I read eight hours reading the Bible, and then I worshipped, and then, yes, you know. No, I'll start with prayer, a lot more this Sabbath particularly, and I'll worship, and I'll read the Bible, but then I'll open up a magazine. I'll go for a walk. I'll maybe go out for breakfast. I'll do whatever restores my soul the way God has made me to be. Some of you, I know a friend who on his Sabbath, he would like to go for like a 15-mile run. That does not restore me. That sounds like hell. (laughs) The laughter's a little bit loud there. Um, So, but God's made you in a way that there's nothing wrong with you doing things that you enjoy. Anything that you enjoy that's a gift from God is worship. So, we start off with time with God but we have that day of rest and God blesses us. 
How about, do you, how about you? Do you observe the Sabbath? James, you don't know how busy my life is. There's no way I can take a day just to rest. I've got the work. I've got to do all the bills and going to the bank. And I've got the kids. We're renovating the house. Can I say I've been there? I've tried to work seven days a week. And it put me in bed. I worked six days a week for six years. I was just exhausted. God's commandment is remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. So if you have not observed the Sabbath for years, or maybe let's say you've not had the full day, maybe you've not had half a day to yourself to get away, can I say you probably need to look at your life and go and spend some time with God because God has not made you to work relentlessly. I'm not going to be coming to any of you saying, have you taken a 24-hour break? Have you spent time with God on that Sabbath? No. This is between you and God. But can I say is if you don't think there's any way for you to have a Sabbath, whether it be an afternoon, whether it be a day, you're doing too much. I can say that with all authority as someone who has done too much. And if you're doing too much, you might not burn out, but you'll never know the true joy that God has for your life, which is to rest in him. So as I conclude, God invites us to take hold of that rope in that blizzard, and he seeks, he wants us to seek him to be back in his presence. Here's the best thing. It's not something you have to put loads of hard slog work into to accept his invitation to be still, to know he is God and to keep the Sabbath holy is simply that. It's an invitation. He says, come, and all you need to do is say, yeah, I want to do that. I just want to follow that rope. And often we can literally be on our doorstep like those sad story of a farmer almost dying a meter from his doorstep frozen because he couldn't see where he was God just brings us in that short distance back to him and he restores us and he refreshes us it's an invitation he has for each of us but it's an invitation you've got to accept if you don't accept it you're missing out on so much of what God has for you you've heard my words but what's so much more powerful is what God's saying to you let him just minister to you to teach you what you need to be still and know that he is God in your own life.